Marble Machine. Welcome back, listeners. Or uh, I should rather say I'm glad you're still here. I don't know how and why, but I guess the Marble Machine has its ways. Welcome to the 19th century. Yes, I'm just as confused about all this as you are. Maybe it's time for a little recap for everyone who is new to the podcast. Let's see. How should I start? My friend Tim and I wanted to rent a place to build a recording studio and create a short story podcast. We moved into an old attic, and what happened then was quite unbelievable. There was an odd glowing machine in the attic. Yes, listeners, the marble machine. As soon as Tim touched it, he could no longer speak. At least not with words. Tim only communicates with sound effects now. When I touched the machine, I could suddenly understand Tim's strange sound effect language. Then a marble dropped out of the machine, and I felt an unquenchable hunger for the little round thing, so I ate it. And when I did, the story that was hidden inside the marble came to life. Through me, listeners, every marble I eat makes me tell a story. The marble machine takes ideas floating around in the world and makes stories out of them. And it seems that Tim and I are, well, we are sort of the marble machine's servants, I guess. We have been living in the attic for over a year now, and we have been bringing the world one story each month ever since. I won't go into details of all the strange things that have already happened. If you're curious, you can go back and listen to all the previous episodes. The first one is called The Snowball Effect. Long story short, a few weeks ago, I dropped a marble and it broke into three pieces. It wasn't too big a deal. The three pieces became a three-part story. It's the latest one that you can hear on our podcast. After I broke the marble, the marble machine said that it had some kind of mission for me. It never elaborated what that mission was, but I guess it has something to do with the fact that one morning I woke up in the attic and found myself living in the 19th century. It seems that I'm trapped here. In the last episode, I told you that I wanted to talk to the people living in the house. Well, and so I did, but they were very irritated by me just showing up in their kitchen. Uh, I was lucky they didn't have me arrested. But what they did do was kick me out of the house. I should have just stayed in the attic. Because now I'm completely lost and without a roof over my head. And worst of all, I have no idea how I'm going to find a marble here. How will I tell you the next story if... What's that? What's that sound? Do you hear that, listeners? It sounds like something's falling from the sky and... Oh! Ouch! But wait, what, what's this? This can't be. A marble just fell out of the sky and... There's a little note attached to it. Let me read it to you, listeners. Don't worry, Jacob. Everything will be fine. There's a woodworker's workshop at the end of the road to your left. The fellow is specialized in carving little wooden elf statues. Hmm. Tell him you are here to help him with the fire in his basement? But he will know. 
Tell him I sent you. Cheers. Your landlord from the future, Mr. Pitterit. Well, that is weird indeed. Mr. Pitterit is the landlord who let us rent the attic. If you want to know more about him, I suggest you go back and listen to episode 9. And, spoiler alert, he is not your ordinary landlord, I can tell you that much. I'm not even surprised that he's communicating with me throughout space and time. Well, let's see then. Down the road, eh? And... Ha! I see it. There's a wooden elf statue right over the workshop sign. Well... Hello? Anybody home? Who? Who's there? Um, Jacob. Mr. Pitterit sent me about a fire. Um, in your basement, I think. Oh, yes. I'll be with you in a moment. I think he's in the basement, listeners. It doesn't smell burnt. Um, ah, the shop owner is coming up as I speak. Looks like a jolly fellow. Big old beard, round belly. <laughs> what? Oh, n uh, nothing. Nice to meet. Do you have the marble? Uh, yes, but uh, how do you know? I was supposed to ask you about a fire in your... Yes, 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 I know. But Mr. Pitteritt says you must eat the marble first. All else can wait. It is almost Christmas, and you don't want to let the listeners wait over Christmas without a story to listen to, do you? No. No, of course not. Do I know you? You you seem so familiar. The marble boy. Yes, right. Um, have fun, listeners. The Room That Keeps Secrets Written and narrated by Jacob Graff Recorded and edited by Tim Höfer The old house felt empty. Something has changed, Jeremiah thought, and he didn't mean the fact that obviously everything had changed since his grandparents had died almost three months ago. The house was going to be sold, and they would never spend another Christmas here again. Those were the obvious changes, but they weren't what bothered Jeremiah when he entered the house with his parents and his little brother that afternoon. He couldn't say what it was, but something about the house disturbed him deeply. Something that made him feel bad. Something that made him think of dead maggots and worms scurrying underneath a wet rock. Uh, go look around, boys. Maybe you can find something that you want to keep, his mother said to Jeremiah and his little five-year-old brother, Matty, as they entered the old building. It sounded like a good idea, but they had barely begun to explore when the skin on Matty's face suddenly decided to erupt into a field of tiny volcanoes. Matty had always had problems with allergies, but this time he broke out in a rash that was so severe that his mother had to take him straight to the local hospital. Their father had gone to meet a Mr. Amon, who was interested in buying the property, and so it happened that Jeremiah stayed alone in the house of his grandparents, waiting for everyone to come back. He sat down on the wooden bench in the small living room with integrated kitchen, where the old clock used to hang. The kitchen reminded him of cinnamon and cookie dough, and, closing his eyes, he 
he thought about how this place would have smelled just before Christmas. He pictured his grandmother standing there, baking cookies and telling him off because he always tried to eat the dough before the cookies were ready. Eating cookie dough is the best, he thought. A long corridor led through the living room and there used to be a red oriental patterned carpet which always made Jeremiah think of Arabian fairy tales. But today the room was dull. The red carpet had been rolled up. It stood by the white wall now, where it looked like an advertising pillar. The corridor looked smaller without it. Last Christmas, it had seemed like an endless road to Jeremiah. This might be the last time I'll ever be here, he thought. The last time I'll ever have a chance to play The Big Adventure. The Big Adventure was a game his grandfather had invented, and he wasn't quite sure if he could even play it without him. The last time he played, it had taken him over the Silk Road, past the Cloud Gate Oasis, and all the way down to the open plains, where the wild elephants roamed. His grandfather had been the greatest storyteller ever, but he had always said that Jeremiah's fantasy was the essential part of the game. He looked over to the ebony cupboard. Could it be that the elephant statues were still there? There used to be dozens and dozens of them, small and big, some with tusks and some without. Some elephants had been made of marble stone, while others were carved out of single pieces of mahogany wood. His grandmother had collected them, or rather a friend who lived somewhere in a country with a strange name that Jeremiah could never quite remember, had kept sending them to her. Jeremiah wondered if that friend continued sending wooden elephants now that his grandmother was dead, and if so, where they might end up. He closed his eyes, focused, and once again he pretended to travel along the grounds of the wild elephants. The big adventure. He found the secret misty mountain, which was actually his grandmother's cupboard, and he opened the door, imagining the inside of the cupboard to become a dark cave inside the mountain, with dozens of magnificent things to explore. But this time, there was nothing. The elephants were gone. The old cupboard was the only piece of furniture still in the room, and like the rest of the house, it was empty. Jeremiah sighed. Rain trickled against the window, and he walked away from the cupboard to take a look outside. It was a cloudy, dark, rainy December afternoon. It was nothing like the afternoons with his grandmother that he remembered. The snowy Christmassy ones, he really missed those. Whenever it snowed, the only thing that magically remained uncovered by the snow, unless it snowed really, really heavy, was the circle of rosemary flowers that grew around the big tree trunk outside in the garden behind the house. You know what rosemary flowers and elephants have in common? He recalled the words of his grandmother. They remember everything. Jeremiah opened the window and leaned out to look at the rosemary circle. He was relieved to see that at least the rosemary field hadn't changed. It still stood where it had always stood. There were no flowers blooming in the field now, but sometimes a flower would pop out and bloom, even in the coldest of winters. His grandmother used to tell him that the rosemary was special, and that the creatures that lived in the world on the other end of the rosemary circle were the reason that the snow stayed away, because they were creatures of summer, and it was snow's and winter's nature to avoid any kind of dealings with them. 
Something scurried across the floor of the big living room while Jeremiah stood by the window. He had barely noticed it. As he turned around to see what it was, something fell from the top of the cupboard and broke as it hit the wooden floor. Jeremiah looked at the small elephant statue lying on the floor. He must have missed it when he had looked at the cupboard just a moment ago. The wooden part of the statue was unscathed, but there were pieces of chinaware on the floor all around it. Jeremiah took a closer look and realized that there was a hole in the elephant's belly. The statue was hollow inside, and the broken chinaware had served as a lid to seal the bottom of the statue's belly. As he picked up the statue, a little bracelet fell out from the elephant's belly. He knew the type of bracelet very well. His grandmother had used to make them. Hundreds of them, while sitting at the kitchen table under the old clock, using the stems from the rosemary circle and tying them together with a cord of string. Jeremiah remembered how utterly concentrated she always was. There had never been a sound in the room except for the ticking of the cuckoo's clock and the occasional muttering from his grandmother when she accidentally broke a stem. The bracelet fit perfectly. Just as Jeremiah had pushed his hand through and slipped the bracelet onto his arm, he saw what looked like a long, dark shadow. It dashed out from under the cupboard and vanished around the corner. A door slammed shut and Jeremiah rushed after the thing. The sound of the door shutting sent shivers down his spine. Was there someone in the house with him? The part of the house where the thing had fled to only led to two other rooms. One was the guest room, a rather small and simple room, and the other was the winter room. It was called that because it was always cold inside. His grandparents only used it during the Christmas holidays when the family came to visit. Then they would decorate it and set up a Christmas tree, but other than that, the room remained abandoned for the rest of the year. Jeremiah decided to check the guest room first. It was empty. Bed, cupboard, TV set, and even the curtains had been removed. Daylight shone into the perfectly blank room. He closed the door again and turned to the antique oak wood door that led to the winter room. His heart started to beat a little faster. The winter room was the spookiest place in the whole house, and back when his grandparents were alive, no one was allowed inside without them. It made perfect sense that the shadowy thing he saw would choose the winter room as a hiding place. What if it wasn't hiding? What if it's waiting for me? Jeremiah asked himself. Slowly he reached out for the doorknob and turned it, but just as he expected, the door was locked. Could the thing possibly have a key to the winter room? He checked the board at the front door. The big copper key that opened the winter room was still there. He took it off the hook and slowly made his way back to the oakwood door. No one except for his grandmother, had ever been allowed to enter the room before Christmas. He remembered how she would oversee the Christmas ceremony as if it was a matter of life and death. It was the only thing that his grandparents had been exceptionally strict about. Half an hour before the family was allowed inside, his grandmother would burn dried rosemary and cast thin billows of smoke into the room so that it took up the smell. The opening of the presents had been Jeremiah's favorite part, especially because his grandfather had put him in charge of it. As soon as everyone had received their presents, his grandmother would send them out into the kitchen while she burned more rosemary incense and locked the winter room until the next Christmas. 
Whenever Jeremiah asked why they kept the winter room locked for a whole year, his grandmother would simply answer that the room likes to keep its secrets, and that one had to respect that. The door swung open slowly, and he stepped inside. A darkness that seemed to have been there for ages awaited him. But when Jeremiah looked down at himself, there was a faint blue light surrounding his body. Hello? Jeremiah uttered, and the whole room lit up in a bluish-gray fog. The door behind him closed, and Jeremiah flinched. Something had tried to grab the bracelet from his arm. Who's there? There was no answer, yet as he spoke, his words seemed to transform the room. The bluish-gray light remained, but the fog vanished, and the silhouettes of five people appeared in the far end of the room. They seemed to be gathered around a triangular shape that was so tall that it almost touched the ceiling. Hello? He spoke again, and the last bit of fog cleared. Jeremiah, my dear boy, I don't waste time now. One of the silhouettes stood up from a sofa and walked over to the triangular shape. As it did so, the silhouette became clearer. It was his grandfather, and the triangular shape was a Christmas tree. His whole family, father, mother, grandfather, grandmother, and his little brother Matty, were sitting around the tree waiting for him. He took another step toward them and saw that there were presents spread all over the carpet and around the Christmas tree. You're dead, Jeremiah said, and his grandfather faded back into the blue fog. Don't be silly, Jeremiah's father said, sitting in a big armchair. Come and open the presents, will you? It's cold in here and I'm hungry. Now that his father mentioned it, Jeremiah realized that he felt a little chilly too. This is exactly like last Christmas, he thought. He walked over to his family and started opening presents, just as he had done almost one year ago. They were exactly the same presents, a big toy car in the first present for his little brother, a computer game in the second for his father, and the magician's kit that he had wanted for himself in the fourth. What about the presents for our guests, sweetie? His mother asked after Jeremiah had handed out all the other presents. Jeremiah turned and looked to where his mother was pointing. In the far corner of the room stood a tall and lean, human-like shadow. It was only barely visible amid the bluish-gray light, but visible enough to make Jeremiah's heart beat faster. Go on, his father said. Give him his present, Jeremiah. Jeremiah looked over to his grandparents, who were nodding their heads monotonously in agreement. Vroom, vroom, Matty said, playing with his new toy and pushing the car across the carpet. He wants what's on your arm, sweetie, his mother said, and Jeremiah looked down at the bracelet. But this, but it's grandmother's. I found it in the living room, Jeremiah protested. And as the words left his mouth, the fog thickened, and one by one, it engulfed the Christmas tree, the presents, and every one of Jeremiah's family members. When the fog cleared, the room was empty again, except for Jeremiah's grandmother. She was standing in the far corner of the room, smiling a wooden smile at him. Bring it over here to me then, sweetie, his grandmother said, standing exactly where the shadow had been standing. Jeremiah took a step toward her. You're not my grandmother, he said. 
Suddenly, big chunks of cloth and skin fell from her body and onto the ground. Her face shriveled and scaled off, and Jeremiah found himself staring down a black, faceless tunnel. Slowly, unnoticeably at first, he began putting one foot in front of the other. His hand slipped off the bracelet from his other arm, and then, just when he was about to let it go, he knew what he was looking at. The shadow had been with him for a long time. It had thrown the first punch when he had gotten into his first fistfight in school with the boy from eighth grade. It had been there laughing with him when he had made fun of the girl with the freckly face last summer. It had stood right beside him every time he felt jealous because Matty got more attention than him. It had been in every lie he had ever told and in every bad thought he had ever thought. And now the shadow was the dark, bottomless abyss that stood there waiting in the winter room, ready to pull him in and keep him forever. That's right, the shadow said. Its real voice sounded inhuman. I am many things. Just a moment ago, I was your desire to enter this room. And now, I have become your only chance to ever leave it again. Give me the bracelet. It cost Jeremiah all his energy to phrase the words he was about to speak. But when he uttered them, he managed to pull back his arm from the shadow. Go away, he shouted, and his words cast the shadow into the wall. It's not me that you should be worried about the shadow said as it crawled out of the wall again. I am here to help you, to make the thing that is in here with us disappear. The image of maggots under wet stones filled up Jeremiah's thoughts again, and for a second he believed the shadow. He felt that there was another presence, much darker and far worse than anything his shadow was ever capable of being. What is it? Jeremiah whispered. Does it matter? It is old. It is evil, far more evil than me. All you have to do is give me the bracelet. No, no, you're lying. Jeremiah shouted, forcing the shadow back into the wall with his words. Yes, I lie. I deceive. It's what I do. I like when we break rules together. But you must trust me now, Jeremiah. The thing that lurks in this place, we must give it what it wants before... Before what? Jeremiah asked, and then flinched as something bumped into his ankle. Broom, broom. Matty sounded, pushing his car against his brother's foot. Before it hurts him, the shadow said. He's not real, Jeremiah said, and Matty vanished. Of course he's not. But the real one's hurting, isn't he? He's in pain. The thing that lives between these walls knows how to hurt him, and will hurt him more. If we don't give him what it wants, it will let us rot here forever. Now hand me the bracelet. You're lying. You're ignorant, just like your grandparents. My grandparents? Yes, they tried to trick it. And look what happened, it got them both killed. In that moment, the maggoty smell arose again, and from somewhere in the distance, a doorbell started to ring. Too late. It is here. Jeremiah looked around and saw the oakwood door shimmering in the darkness. My parents are back and I'm leaving. I've had enough of your stupid lies, Jeremiah said and headed for the door. He took one step toward the door and his left leg sunk into a mushy, moss-like substance. It felt as though he had stepped into a mud hole. His breath stopped as he looked down and he saw where he was standing. A sea of worms and maggots. They were all around him, crawling and slithering. 
He panicked and tried to rush for the door, but he just sunk deeper into the writhing mass with every step that he took. The maggots were covering him all the way up to his neck by the time he reached the door, and he was still sinking deeper. He thrust his arm out, sending dozens of the critter and crawlers flying through the air as he desperately reached for the doorknob. It was but a thumb's width away from the tip of his fingers. He stretched so hard that he almost felt his shoulder pop, but he still couldn't reach it. Maggots were crawling over his chin and lips by now, and he looked at the rosemary bracelet on his arm. In one last effort of strength, he pulled his arm back, managed to fiddle the bracelet off his hand, and holding it tightly, he reached out again and caught the doorknob with it. The bracelet started to glow, and Jeremiah felt it harden. Inch by inch, he grabbed a tighter hold of it until he had a firm grip. He started to pull himself out of the maggot pit. When his legs touched solid ground again, he pounced for the door, turned the doorknob, and fled through to the other side. Jeremiah woke up on the floor in the front of the winter room. His stomach hurt. There was a foul taste in his mouth, as if he had eaten something rotten. He remembered parts of a dream in which he had fled from a creature with the tail of a serpent, the body of a wolf, and the head of a raven. He wondered why he had fallen asleep on the long corridor right in front of the winter room. There was a bracelet in his hand like the ones his grandmother used to make, except that this one had a fresh rosemary stem and two blooming flowers woven into it. The doorbell rang. Jeremiah got up and felt something heavy in his pocket. It was the big copper key that unlocked the winter room. He had no idea how it had gotten there. He put it back on the hook on his way and opened the door to his father and a tall, bony-faced man in a dark suit with bird-like eyes and a wolfish smile on his face. "'What took you so long?' his father asked, a little annoyed. "'I was ringing the bell like a madman for ten minutes straight.' "'I think I fell asleep,' Jeremiah replied. He couldn't keep his eyes off the other man. "'This is Mr. Marcus Amon,' his dad introduced the man. "'He will be buying the house.' And everything that belongs to it. Please don't forget to write that in the contract, Mr. Amon added. Yes, of course, as we discussed, his father said, pleased, and then turned to Jeremiah, who was still staring at Mr. Amon. Um, Jeremiah? Jeremiah, look at me when I'm talking to you. Why don't you go out and play in the garden while I finish business here with Mr. Amon? Your mother and Maddie should be back soon, too, and then we can finally eat something. Jeremiah nodded. And as he passed them, Mr. Amon grabbed hold of his arm and said, Pretty bracelet? Those rosemary flowers? Jeremiah jerked his arm away from him. Mr. Amon stopped grinning. For a second, there was a hint of discomfort in his features, but the discomfort faded faster than it had come and was drowned by a bark of laughter in which Mr. Amon revealed two rows of sharp, pointed teeth. It's very rude of you not to answer the man his father said. Tell him where you found the bracelet. Looks like one of Granny's. Was it in one of the moving boxes? I don't know, Jeremiah shouted and ran past his father and Mr. Amon. He darted down the stairs and around the house to the garden on the back side of the house. The sun came out and a beam of light fell right onto the circle of rosemary flowers growing around the big stub of the dead tree in the middle of the garden. Jeremiah sat down on one of its thick wooden roots and took off the bracelet. 
He touched the two blossoms with his fingertips. There was a wondersome glow where the sunlight touched them. Jeremiah took the first blossom gently between his fingers and exhaled a deep breath. And with it, the secret that he had taken with him from the winter room unveiled, and he remembered everything that had happened. Quite a magical little flower, isn't it? The little man said, that suddenly sat behind Jeremiah, right there in the middle of the tree stump. He stuffed a small wooden pipe and started puffing away. Ah, rosemary herb, great stuff, I tell you. Helps with the loss of memory, keeps germs and the likes away. And uh, have I mentioned uh, that it's quite a good smoke, too? Go on, boy. Uh, smell the other one. Rub it a little between your fingers first, but make sure you don't crush it. The little man's raspy voice sounded warm and reassuring. Jeremiah did what he was told, and the rosemary bracelet revealed to him a second secret. The room is his prison, Jeremiah whispered. Yes, sir. Yes, it is. The room's the secret-keeping type of prison. Winter and summer joined forces to create it and ban him into it. But that was centuries ago. Back then, the prison wasn't exactly a room, and it wasn't in this nice old house either. Where was it before? Jeremiah asked. The little man puffed away on his pipe and took about five minutes to consider his answer. Deep down in a cave in the mountains somewhere between the worlds, I suppose, but I wouldn't know. It is another one of the room's secrets. Now it's here and we'll have to deal with it and make sure he doesn't get out. We have to make sure that he becomes a secret that the room can keep again. Who is he? Jeremiah wanted to know. You saw him, didn't you? Big fella, wolf-like head, raven-claw hands. Bad smell. Uh, I call him Wormface, but he doesn't like that very much. <laughs> he reminds me of worms and maggots. Yep, that's the guy. Poor fella, to be honest. No wonder he became so bitter and evil. Imagine you reminded everybody you meet of dead worms and maggots. What is he really, though? Not sure. A being of the old age, they say. A seventh spirit, they used to call him. Messes with people's heads and controls the bad parts in them. The shadows. <laughs> That's what got him banned, I guess. He must have been pretty rough back in the days. I don't remember that summer and winter courts ever joined forces to ban anything from the world. And I remember a lot. Believe you me. The little man pondered his words for a moment, puffed on his pipe, and then said... You should get going. Get going? Why, of course. You need to lock Mr. Eamon back into the room. Oh, uh, I almost forgot. He slipped his pipe into the inside of his coat and produced a little key about as big as a finger and completely made of rosemary stems. Your granny made this. She wanted me to give it to you. What's it for? I don't know. Something to do with her plan of wanting to let the room forget about Wormface, I guess. She never told me. She said if anything happened to her, I should make sure that I give it to you. Why would she want the room to forget him? Because that's how the prison works. Wormface is the room's biggest secret. And the bigger a secret, the more power it has. It's the trouble with those kinds of prisons that keep secrets. Eventually, a prisoner like Wormface can become too big a secret for the prison to keep. Your granny knew that the best-kept secrets are the ones that are almost completely forgotten. And that was her idea. 
She wanted to feed the room with so many other memories and secrets that it would forget the importance of Wormface. If the room thought of other things rather than Wormface, he would become such an unimportant secret that the room would forget him completely. Then the whole world would forget him too. In this way, he could be easily handled and kept imprisoned. In that very moment, a terrible bark of laughter arose from inside the house. Quickly now, Wormface is about to seal a pact with your father. We can't let that happen. It would set him free. You must stop him. Oh, wait. Here. He reached behind the stump and pulled out a steaming hot cup of tea and a bunch of dry rosemary wood. Tea? I thought you said we, we were in a rush, Jeremiah said. Yes, yes, we are. Drink it on the way into the house. The room keeps the time you spend inside it and all of your thoughts for itself. But Rosemary will let you remember. Burn the dry wood once you enter the room. He handed Jeremiah the cup of tea, the rosemary cage and the dry wood. And then the little man took out his pipe, stuffed it, lit it and started puffing away again. As Jeremiah stepped out of the rosemary ring, the sun disappeared behind the clouds. He looked back at the tree stump, but the little man was gone. Jeremiah wondered why his grandparents had let him and the rest of his family into the room every Christmas if they knew that there was such a dangerous spirit imprisoned inside it. The answer came to him as he reached the front door. He sat on the porch, drank his tea as fast as he could, and holding the little rosemary key carefully inside his hands, he entered the house. He took the key that opened the winter room from the hook and rushed into the kitchen where some of the moving boxes stood. He searched the boxes until he found the one with all the elephant statues. Then he took his father's matches from the kitchen table and pulled the heavy box full of elephants out of the room. Mr. Amon and his father were seated at the table in the big living room, going through paperwork as Jeremiah pulled the box past them. He tried not to look, but at the same time he wanted to overhear if the deal had already been made. So, we have an agreement? His father asked Mr. Amon. Yes, we do, Mr. Amon replied, and Jeremiah didn't even have to look at him to know that he was smiling his wolfish smile again. He heard his mother's car arriving. He prayed that it wasn't too late yet. He finally got the box to the winter room, unlocked it, and heaved the box inside. He felt the darkness and didn't know that it was the soul of the room that kept secrets. It was waiting, curious to see what the little boy with the big box was doing. Jeremiah burnt the incense and spread it across the room, until smoke hung everywhere. Then he placed the wooden elephant statues all around. When he was finished, he spoke to the room. Please, dear room, if they're still here, let me talk to them. Please, he added in a desperate whisper. And then something right there in the darkness started to glow. Two little flickering lights that seemed to come out of a dark tunnel grew bigger as they moved toward him. Jeremiah, my boy, his grandfather called as the rosemary vapors let his spirit return. What are you doing here? His grandmother asked and hugged him. Quick, please, we need to stop father from selling the house. The, 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 the thing that Mr. Amon, he's in the living room. I think I know how to stop him, but I need your help. We are no longer part of your world, my dear. We're just memories. What could we possibly do to help? Grandmother, you let us into the room every Christmas to give the room more memories, right? You wanted to make good memories to make Mr. Amon less important, right? 
His grandparents looked at each other surprised, and then back at their grandson. Yes, and what great memories they were. Memories of joy and happiness. You should have seen your faces every time you saw the tree and the presents. But I waited too long. I wanted to give them to the room all at once, so that it would be so overwhelmed that it would forget the seventh spirit. Ah, a forgotten secret gets cast into the deepest dungeons of the prison, you know. I'm sorry. I waited too long, she sighed. Don't worry, Grandma. I, I have a plan, Jeremiah said and produced the little rosemary key. You know why I made it then? Jeremiah nodded, and his grandmother laughed heartily and nudged her husband in the ribs. Not even your grandpa knew why I made the key. The bark of Mr. Amon filled the room and his voice called. All we need to do now is to sign the papers then. Too late. The seventh spirit has won, Jeremiah's grandfather sighed. There's nothing we can do now. Yes, yes there is. If I can call your memories back here from the rosemary smoke, I can call back other memories too. Anyone who hasn't drunk rosemary tea will forget everything that it sees in the room, right? Or only remember what I want to let the rosemary make them remember, his grandmother nodded. I would always let you remember the good times we had in here. Hmm. Hmm, maybe you're right, and we can help after all. Jeremiah smiled and rushed out of the winter room. His mother and Mattie came into the big living room exactly when Jeremiah exited the winter room. Were you in the forbidden room? Mattie asked. Yes, and we all have to go, he said excited. I, I have a surprise for everyone. He went over to his father and grabbed his hand just when he was about to sign the contract with Mr. Amon. Jeremiah, what is this behavior? Don't you see I'm in the middle of doing grown-up business here? Come, come, it will only take a minute. Then we can celebrate the selling of the house. Mr. Amon, you have to come too, please. Jeremiah insisted. I want to know the surprise, Daddy, Mattie said. Let's see what he has done. He seems so excited, darling, his mother said. Mr. Amon grunted and didn't smile at all when everybody stood up and followed Jeremiah into the winter room. He opened the oak wood door and a warm light engulfed them all. Their grandparents were standing by the most beautiful Christmas tree they had ever seen, and presents, big and small, were all over the floor, and the smell of cinnamon cookies and a touch of rosemary filled the air. Mr. Amon growled as everybody relived the memory of their last Christmas, and nobody thought about selling the house. Mr. Amon stood up and said something to Jeremiah's dad, but he didn't hear him, because in the memory of last year's Christmas, Mr. Amon hadn't existed. That was the moment Jeremiah had been waiting for. He took the rosemary key and burnt it, and as it burnt, the elephant statues began to glow. Jeremiah held the burning rosemary key and watched as the statues burst open and hundreds of glowing rosemary bracelets floated into the room, popping off blossoms here and there until the room was filled with blue rosemary flowers. Every elephant statue had kept a memory from every Christmas Jeremiah and his family had ever spent in the winter room. The room took up the memories and no one but Jeremiah noticed the screaming and shouting of Mr. Amon as he grew smaller and smaller with every flower that fell into the room. When the last flower blossomed, he was nothing but a little maggot wriggling and curling around on the floor. 
Jeremiah took off his own rosemary bracelet and placed the maggot inside it, and with a last tiny squeak, the maggot that was Mr. Amon popped like a balloon and turned into a tiny blue rosemary flower. The old darkness flowed back into the room. Like a black river of tar, it sucked up the flowers, and with them, Mr. Amon. That day the room that kept secrets locked Mr. Amon, the seventh spirit, away in a dark corner, where he would remain forgotten and unseen for many, many years. I'm hungry, Jeremiah's father said, and the others followed him out of the winter room. Jeremiah's mother made traditional stew the way his grandma used to make it for Christmas, and during dinner his dad said, This house has so many good memories. What do you all say if we keep it and spend this year's Christmas here too? And while Jeremiah and his family celebrated that they would spend another Christmas in the old house, the darkness vanished from the winter room, leaving a room behind that was quite ordinary, except for a rather strange bluish light coming from the drapers. Welcome back, listeners. I hope you enjoyed this Christmas story. Before we end today's podcast, I think uh, I should talk to the workshop owner and ask him about the fire in his basement. Um, hello? I think he's gone, listeners. Hello? No, I'm here. Use the stairs, but don't step on any elves. Um, all right. Wow, listeners, this is marvelous. There are tiny little elf statues all over the candlelit staircase. And there's something flickering down there in the basement. There's the shop owner. But what is he doing? He, he's throwing elf statues into a huge fire. But it's not a normal fire. It's burning bright blue right there on the basement floor. Yes, fairy fire, yes, yes. That's how I make my little helpers. Your helpers? Yes, <laughs> the fire brings my statues to life, and through the fairy flames, my little elves travel and settle all over the world. <laughs> you mean real walking and talking elves? Walking, talking, and present-making elves, to be exact. They make sure every child gets one by Christmas Eve. You... You... You're the... <laughs> That's right, sir. You're Father Christmas. Well, let's just say I have many names, boy. By the way, I loved your story. Oh, thank you. Did you hear that, listeners? Father Christmas loved the story. I must tell the marble machine when I get back. Oh, 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 believe me, it already knows. It does? Well, I, I guess it does. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Um, Christmas. I think I was sent here on purpose. The marble machine said it had a mission for me, and Mr. Pitterit said I should come here and ask you about your fire. Yes, <laughs> I heard, and that's great. Perhaps you want to finish your episode first, and I'll tell you why you've time-traveled all this way to visit me in my workshop. Uh, yes, sure. You heard, Father Christmas listeners. Uh, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and hope you will all still be here next year. Uh, for those of you feeling especially generous over Christmas, you're welcome to support the Marble Machine with your donation on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash themarblemachine, and also feel free to have a look at our website, 
themarblemachine.com. Well, see you next year, and remember, the next marble will drop. <laughs>